depending on the time of day you are listening to this. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Episode CC. And now to Shane and Kucherov can tangle up. Play continues. If someone's going off. Yeah, penalty calls. Kucherov's got to be going off. He is. Anderson's come out. Extra attackers on. Look at this. CC scores. Unbelievable. Of the Unparalleled Success Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Woods. I am a radio broadcasting student at Algonquin College. I am losing my voice, but we're going to have a great show today because joining me on this episode is Brandon Mackey. Uh, so my name is Brandon Mackey. Uh, I'm a staff writer for Silver7Sends.com. Uh, we are a fan blog that operates under the umbrella of SB Nation, covering the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I was born and raised in Sudbury, Ontario. Uh, I'm in Toronto now, right in the heart of downtown, going to the University of Toronto. But yeah, I also host my own podcast uh, called Internal Budget. And um, I've just pretty much, I cover the Ottawa Senators for some reason. I read your piece on Silver 7 earlier in the week, and uh, Stop Ignoring the Elephant is what it was called. I thought it was very well written. My Thank fa- you. My favorite part was uh, how you tied it together at the end, and Senators fans know that the attendance is an abomination. Trust me, they're not happy about it either, so help them. Keep the pressure on, write articles, record podcasts, do radio hits, and get it out there that either that there is uh, no debate to be had here. So uh, I really liked how you worded that at the end. And so here we are on the podcast talking about how Eugene Melnick is the problem. you got to practice what you preach, right? That's right. The Sens have been struggling with attendance for a while now, especially since October. I went to one of the first home games of the season against the St. Louis Blues when they only had 9,000 people there, and it was yikes. Like, that was the... eye-opener for me because I was Mm. sitting up in the 300s and there was nobody else in the section it was so uh what uh sparked you to publish the article this week uh I actually included it right in the article Uh, it was a twitter exchange with uh Ken Campbell of the hockey news and uh Shayla or as she's known on twitter brown girl in the rank who I affectionately refer to as the queen of sense twitter um, essentially, for those who don't know, um, it was Ken Campbell that called the attendance in Ottawa an abomination. And uh, Shayla kind of prodded him and said, well, you know, there's a specific reason for that, right? And he said yes, and it rhymes with Mujin Belnick or something like that. So he wouldn't even say the name. And Shayla just kind of pointed out how ridiculous it was. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing her name, if she's listening. But, um, but yeah, she just kind of pointed out how ridiculous it was that uh, – that he wouldn't mention that and he basically said well i only had so many characters plus i think everyone knows that melnick is the problem and i I just kind of started thinking about it um because it it did kind of bug me but i wasn't sure why at first like i kind of had to sit and digest it a little bit and i started thinking about how well no not everyone knows that melnick is the problem because every day on twitter i still have to see oh sell the team move the team to quebec or whatever you know so no they're they're 
clearly people that don't understand that there is a fan base in Ottawa, a very passionate fan base, and that it's a viable hockey market. Um, so that that annoyed me. So I wanted to kind of not so much be confrontational, but to kind of send members of the hockey media a message and say, look, like you guys have got to help us out here. It's It's your job to control this narrative and to make sure people really understand what's going on. And if you're not willing to tell people that Eugene Melnick is the problem, then you're failing in that task. You do mention in the article that the On Ice product has been mostly fun to watch this year, and we're going to talk more about that later on with our uh, five favorite moments of the season, and I chose the number five in uh, honor of Cody Cece. So we get that little teaser in there for the listeners. But what is your favorite thing about the On Ice product been so far this season? Um, uh, there's a few things. Uh, I, I'm enjoying the balance. That's something I think we haven't seen in a while. More specifically, just the fact that these young players are getting a chance to succeed for the most part, that they're getting a chance to play big minutes and getting getting their opportunities. Like we saw Logan Brown playing in the top six for most of his stint. Drake Batherson's been getting some really good minutes. Eric Branstrom was playing was a top four defenseman for his time when he was up here before he got sent back sent back down. So that I like that. Um, I like that the focus is on developing the kids rather than relying on veterans that nobody should frankly be relying on. Beyond that, um, I've enjoyed. Sorry, I totally lost my train of thought for a sec. Um, yeah, no, I've enjoyed. Uh, there's more structure. You know, Guy Boucher's system was kind of run and gun for the most part. It worked really well in 2017 when they made the run of the conference final. But once teams kind of started to figure out, I, I never really saw any adjustment. Uh, even after the power play got publicly exposed in that Uber video, they didn't change it. You know, like they still kept doing the same drop pass. So I'm enjoying that um, there is a little more structure to their game. So, you know, that's something that that's good in the sense that these kids can grow up in this system. And once they've, you know, reached the prime of their careers, they're going to be able to, they're going to know it like the back of their hand, right? So... So that's what I really like. I, I just like to see a more complete team, I think. And in addition to your thought on the power play, it's actually been heating up recently, which is uh, good to see. And I like how you mentioned Drake Batherson, because I've got uh, the Batherson sweater here. <laughs> I ready, love it. Ready for tonight. Um, so how do you think, uh, you already sort of mentioned how it compares to seasons in the past. Do you think, I was thinking the other day about how this has been a fun season to watch because there's no pressure. And in 2017, when they went to the conference finals, it was so stressful watching hockey games. Do you yeah. enjoy or prefer watching the games when they're in the tank or when they're doing well? Because sometimes it's it's fun just to watch with no pressure. Oh, without a doubt, I prefer them doing well, 100%. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, uh, no hesitation at all. The Part of the fun when your team's making a playoff run is that stress, right? Like that anxiety. You're excited, you're excited, you're in a good mood, and then the game starts and you're just on the edge of your seat the whole time. I, I love that aspect of it. I think that probably goes back to my own days as an athlete where I, I kind of loved those pressure situations. Um, the tank is fun too, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I do kind of like the freedom of low expectations, especially after the dumpster fire that the last two years have been where it's just been – you want them to win, but they keep losing, and it just feels like this hopeless endeavor. But so I, I do enjoy the how freeing it kind of is to not really care whether they win or lose. Obviously, we all want them to win tonight, tank aside. 
But uh, and the fact that, like I said before, you know, in a season like this is where the young kids really get those opportunities to shine. So they both have their merits. But I always want Ottawa to be competitive and playing for a Stanley Cup. You also mentioned in the article the small, ever so tiny possibility of the Sens relocating. How long do you think the Senators could survive with Melnick as the owner? I don't think there's even the slightest chance that the Sens are going anywhere, regardless of who the owner is. I I don't think the league, for one, I think the league knows that Ottawa, like I said before, is a viable hockey market. You know, like I, I highlighted the statistics in the article. They were they were near the top in attendance across the league for most of like the early 2000s or mid 2000s, I guess. But um, so it's really hard to just believe that all those fans have kind of disappeared out of nowhere. It wasn't like it was one season where they had killer attendance and then they never did again. Even in years where they weren't as successful, I think it was 2013, 2014 were years that I highlighted that they actually had pretty good attendance, even though they weren't a really successful team. So, and the other part of the equation is the options to relocate them aren't amazing for the NHL. You know, you can move them to Quebec, which is a smaller market than Ottawa. So, your hopes of success, you're probably going to run into a lot of the same problems, especially competing with the Habs. So, look, there's always the chance. I don't want to never say never, right? But I don't think Senators fans have to worry about the team relocating. And hopefully not, but if they were to ever, like, not, I'm not saying, like, 10 years from now, but, like, yeah, yeah. if 20, 25 years from now, you never know and you can never plan for that far down the road. If the Sens were to ever relocate, who do you think you would find yourself cheering for or would you continue to watch hockey? I think I would always continue to watch hockey. Um, I, I've grown up with the Sens. They were what kind of fostered my love for hockey. Damn, that's a tough one to answer. Um... I don't know. I, I, there, there are teams I like watching, right? I like Vegas a lot. You know, um, they've been fun to watch ever since they came into the league. Plus, who doesn't love Mark Stone? Um, Eric Carlson kind of had San Jose growing on me, and now I really like them because they're going to get Ottawa a really good pick. Uh, I don't know if there's one team that I would cheer for. You know, maybe maybe it would be an expansion team or something like that. But there's no other team that I love enough to cheer for over the Sens or if the Sens disappeared. And with all that being said, at the start of your article, you said it wasn't meant to be a negative tone at all, and it was uh, it was positive. So sticking with the positivity, there's some very positive aspects of the rebuild going on right now. How long do you think until the Sens return to the playoffs? If I well, a lot of it's going to depend on the draft this year, but uh, if I had to put my money on it, I would say not next year, but the year after. So I'd say 2022 would be the year that they are back in the postseason. I think they'll surprise some people squeaking to a wild card spot, probably losing the first, second round. And this is obviously, you know, taking into consideration that everything goes according to plan, right, hypothetically speaking. And I think the year after would be the year where they really start to go for it and start making a run. And a lot, like I said, it's going to depend on the draft. It's going to depend on ownership. It's going to depend on a lot of things. But I think just based on talent alone – I would say two years would be my guess. Which player has been the biggest surprise this season for Ottawa? It's hard to pick just one because there's been a few guys that have really showed up, especially lately. Marcus Hogberg's been unbelievable. 
Um, I don't think anybody expected him to have the stint that he's had in Ottawa, especially because he was struggling to begin the year in Belleville. Uh, Pajot has been completely out of nowhere. Um, you know, we haven't seen an offensive outburst like this from him ever. I got to go with Anthony Duclair, though. Uh, I don't think anybody at the beginning of the season anticipated that Anthony Duclair was going to make the all-star team and not make the all-star team as kind of an alternate like Brady Kachuk did, but make the starting roster of the all-star team. So especially with the months he had in November, December, where he was just tearing it up, like he could not be stopped. I, I got to go with Duclair. I, I expected him to have a good season, but this is this has been beyond my expectations for sure. So you talked about Hogberg's play and how great he's been. And uh, I was going to ask you to talk more about uh, the future of the Senators' starting goaltenders and how you envision that picture working out. Yeah, sure. I I don't see Anderson being in Ottawa past this season. I don't think anybody does. Um, I actually I, I talked about this a little while ago on, on my podcast, but I, I said that uh, there are people who think that trading Andres Nilsson is the best bet because he'll get you a better return than Anderson. And there's some merit to that, of course, because Nilsson is the most the more talented goalie, I would say, at this point in his career. Uh, next year, I see it being a Nilsson Hogberg tandem. From there, it's it's anyone's guess. Goalies are unpredictable. Nilsson's really good. I think we really underrate him, and I, I think especially if you put a better defensive team in front of him, he can he's really going to look like a really good goaltender. Hogberg, if he can keep this up, um, we'll see. Right, like it's it's hard to kind of take this as a measure of how his career is going to go. Just because he's so young, he's so early in his career, and you know, maybe next year teams will have a book on him and he'll get lit up like a Christmas tree. But uh, Joey Decor is playing really well in Belleville. So's Gustafson. You got Matt Sogard over in Europe. I think if I had to put my bets on long-term options right now, I would probably think you'd be going with Decord and Hogberg, but. We'll see. I think next year it will be a heavy dosage of Nilsson and Hoberg, though. Maybe DeCord will get some games, too. But I think at least for the next year, that's what we're looking at. Tonight, the Senators, as you mentioned earlier, are playing the Maple Leafs. The first time I recorded an episode of this podcast was on October 2nd when the home opener against the Maple Leafs. One (laughs) player who didn't look too hot in that game was Drake Batherson. He's in the lineup tonight. What do you make of uh, his improvement over the season so far? Oh, it's night and day. Like I've I've loved him. His in, the entire. I don't think he's had a bad game since they called him up. Um, look at the beginning of the year. He kind of looked like a guy who was going, man. I really hope they don't figure out that I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here. You know, kind of thing. Like he looked, he looked out of place, which was obviously not what we were hoping for. But now I. I you know, he had the really good – he was really – he was dynamite when they sent him back down to Belleville. Uh, he's been the best player in the American Hockey League over the last two years. I don't think that's debatable. But the difference I've seen with him is just he seems to have found another gear. Uh, he looks like he's grown up in the time that he was down in Belleville. He's throwing hits. He's using his size. He's going into corners. He's fighting like a dog for pucks. Um, but he looks confident. You know, that's something that was missing in the beginning of the season. He's not afraid to make those – nice passes across the ice. I think it was the I think it was the Buffalo game that he set up Tyler Ennis on the power play. It was just a gorgeous pass. 
And, you know, he and it was a tough pass to make because he had to pass through a couple defenders. So for, for him to have the confidence now to be able to try those things is, I think, the biggest indicator that he's going to really have some success, uh, especially when you consider that he's so young. Um, next year will probably be his first full season and he's going to get a good playoff run in with Belleville. So so he's just, like I said, he's just night and day from the beginning of the year. So as you say, the future's looking pretty good for the Senators right now. One way that they can make the future look even better is by adding assets at the upcoming trade deadline on February 24th. Lots of potential unrestricted free agents and restricted free agents on the Sens this year. So I'm going to go over the list and you can tell the listeners if you think the Sens should either trade, re-sign, or, or move on from them, okay? Sounds good. All right, so first up, the, the hot topic leading the list is Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, pending unrestricted free agent. They've got to trade him. I, I hate to say it, like it sucks, it bothers me, but they've got to trade him. They should have done it a month or two ago, frankly, because his value is probably even higher than it is now, just because he was so hot. Uh, now, I, I, think, I still think you get a first for him, but if I'm Ottawa, I do it as quick as I can, and... It's just because his value will never be as high as it is now. Not to not to Ottawa or to anybody. He's 27 years old. History of injuries. You got to move on. Get a first from get a first for him. Have three first round picks in this draft. That's unbelievable. One idea that I had the other day that is completely unrealistic, but I loved it was uh, trading Peugeot to Edmonton for their first round pick. And I've since Ooh. seen a repeat uh, or sorry a report that Edmonton is hesitant to trade a first-round pick, and they're not willing to do that, especially for Peugeot, which would make sense. But if they were able to pull that off with a team like the Islanders or the Flyers, who are also on the bubble, and get an unprotected first-round pick this year for Peugeot, and then potentially yeah. have three lottery picks, that would be uh, outstanding. See, I think if any team is going to trade a first for Peugeot, it's going to be one of those contending teams, right? Like I think we see there's a good chance of Peugeot going to Boston, Um Boston made a similar move last year when they traded for Johansson. And I said at the time, my dad's a big Bruins fan, right? So him and I were talking about it, and he didn't really know much about Johansson. And I said, trust me, that is going to be a great move for you guys. Like, that's going to be a huge move for the playoff run. That's probably the best trade of the day. And Johansson had a great playoff. So I think Boston will look to add to that forward depth just because you know they're going to have injuries. Excuse me. They always do. Bergeron gets hurt. Guys always get hurt. So if you have... Uh, Bergeron, Krejci, and Pajot down the middle, and Corrali on the fourth line. I would argue that that is the best overall center depth in the league. So, especially if they can dump the Bacchus contract, I think Boston would love to take him, and I think Pittsburgh would too, for sure. Nice compliment to Crosby and Malkin. He can kill penalties for you, play that kind of two-way defensive role, some secondary scoring in the playoffs. I think one of those two teams he'll end up going to. Would you be all upset if uh, they traded him to Boston and kept him within the division? That would sort of remind me of the Chris Kelly trade from 2011, but to a higher extent because it's Peugeot. I wouldn't, especially if you're going to get a first out of it. It's probably going to be a late first because I think if I had to pick a team today to win the Cup, it would probably be Boston. But um, but no, I because like I said, he's 27. He's had the in- history of injuries. His point totals were actually regressing up until this season. I, I, I see this season as an outlier for Pajot. I think he's still going to have an impact for three or four more years, maybe even five. But by the time that Ottawa is ready to really compete for a Stanley Cup, I think Pajot is going to be 
I don't want to say a non-factor, but he's definitely not going to be as much of an impact player as he is now. So it doesn't worry me that much, no. And especially if Josh Norris and like the other center prospects in the organization exactly. develop as projected, you're not going to want to give Peugeot that 5x5 five five or whatever definitely contract not. it's going to take to have him be a third-line center a few years down the road. Definitely not. Next up on the list, Tyler Ennis, pending unrestricted free agent. Uh, this is kind of funny because at the beginning of the year, I was so I was so over Tyler Ennis. I did not like him at all. He just looked like he was checked out to me. And lately, he's just he's looked great. So I think Ennis is dependent on what you can get for him. Um, I think anything lower than a third-round pick, and I would probably hang on to him. But um, as far as as far as return for him, I think a third and up, I'd definitely trade him. But if you have to hang on to him, it's not the end of the world. He's a nice compliment. Your bottom six, right, can give you some secondary scoring. You don't want Tyler Ennis usually to be your source of primary scoring, right? So I think as a bottom six guy, he'd be a good fit. But if, like I said, if you can get a third, a second for him, then you should by all means do that. Next up, we've got Vladislav Nemesnikov pending UFA. I saw someone that said send Nemesnikov to Boston to take on the Bacchus contract and a first. And I would like that a lot, um, even if they just get like a second out of it to take that deal. Nemesnikov is – he's a tricky one because a lot of his impacts are understated. Um, he's, he's, he's just one of those guys that's kind of just solid. You know, He doesn't do anything usually spectacular, but he's just solid. I, I think you're going to have enough guys to – you have enough guys in the system, I should say, that you don't really have to worry about losing him. So I, I would kind of play it like the Ennis thing. If you anything lower than probably a third, because they got him for a third, I think, right? So anything lower than a third, I would probably hang on to him. Um, but if not, then then I would definitely trade him. Yeah. And I was wondering about the David Backes contract because it doesn't seem like it was signed that long ago, but apparently it was 2016. So he's only got to the rest of this season and then next season remaining on mm-hmm. the contract with a modified no-trade clause, 15-team no-trade list. So I doubt as if he would want to come to Ottawa. Ottawa would probably be on that uh, no-trade list. But if you can get a, a deal like that, then they would definitely take that in a heartbeat, yeah. and I'd be okay with that. Bacchus is a guy, too, that he, I think, by all indications, he would do what was best for the team, right? So I see, a guy, I see Bacchus as a guy that would kind of waive that no-trade list to go to Ottawa. But... Um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I think he, Boston's made it clear that he doesn't have a place there anymore. I worry about his concussion history. Truthfully, I don't even want him playing if he comes to Ottawa. I just kind of like to press box him as bad as that sounds. But um, if Ottawa can do that deal, then they definitely should. I wanted them to do it in the offseason, truthfully. And now for the forwards, we start out the restricted free agents with Mr. Electric Anthony Duclair. <laughs> Sign him. There's not even no doubt in my mind. Do not even entertain the thought of trading him. Sign him two, three years, and then after that, if he if he proves that he can be consistent, because one of the knock the big knock in his career has been inconsistency. Right? It happened in Arizona. Well, that didn't happen so much in Arizona, New York, because he didn't spend a lot of time there. But uh, it happened in the Chicago for sure and Columbus. So if he can prove that he's a consistent, going to be a consistent offensive threat, and I think he is. 
then you should 100% sign him long term. But for now, definitely sign him. Definitely. Yeah, I was only slightly worried about uh, his goal drought recently because he's on like a 10 plus game goalless drought. But then he got Ball like count. nine shots on goal the other night. So he's he's gonna get one. And he's, yeah, but you got to look at who he's playing with too, yeah. right? They have him with Nemesnikov and Tierney right now, and that's just so not a fit for his game. I think it was um, I think it was one of Sean Tierney's charts that had him that was listing all Ottawa's line combinations and how effective they were and Tierney and that Duclair Tierney Nemestikov line was dead last. Like it, they're they're terrible together. They just don't fit well together. So I what I would like to see is um, move Ennis down to that line and have Duclair play with White and Batherson because White and Batherson have been playing really well together. They've been generating a lot of offense. Batherson's a guy that can feed Duclair the puck and he can rip those shots. So that's what I would like to see. I think that's been a big part of it. So I'm, I'm not stressed about Duclair so much. And speaking of the Tierneys, we got uh, Chris Tierney pending RFA. <sighs> everyone, everyone bugs me about Chris Tierney because I've made it clear how much he frustrates me. I don't think I've ever watched a more inconsistent player than Tierney. I guess inconsistent is the word of the day, but I think he's one of the guys that's frustrated me the most just because he'll have games where he looks like a world beater. Like it's not even like he just looks unbeatable, like a bona fide number two center. And then he goes on like a 20 game goalish streak and it's just, is, is invisible. So you can't trade everybody, right? So I think if you trade Pajot, you have to more seriously consider hanging on to Tierney just because you can't have an all rookie center group. You know, you do need some guys in there that have that are established and that we know can play. But at the same time, I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world to see what you can get for him. Um, I, it just makes me nervous trading him or Pajot. So I think if if you trade Pajot, then maybe sixty percent trade Tierney. And if you don't, don't trade Pajot, 100% trade Tierney. That's where I'm at. Next up, we have pending RFA, Connor Brown. I love Connor Brown. Keep him. He's another guy who instantly, right, resign. I said when the trade happened that Connor Brown makes this trade a home run for Ottawa. Because you dump CC, you took on Zaitsev, whatever. It's it's the lateral move from Zaitsev to CC, right? So in my eyes, those two kind of cancel each other out. And then you have Connor Brown, who I think is one of the best depth forwards in the league. And he's going to be a guy who, if Ottawa goes on a cup run, hopefully in three or four years, he's going to be one of those key guys on it. Killing penalties, secondary scoring. Definitely keep Connor Brown. No doubt in my mind. What would you uh, offer up as a contract for him? I don't think he's going to play for less than Colin White is making, right? Colin White's making 475 I think if you offer him that deal or maybe even go right to $5 million, that's a good deal. Maybe stay away from longer term. Maybe like three or four years at $5 million if he'll do it would be good. But, um, but I definitely want to see him keep – I definitely want to see him stick around. I think any, if anything over $5 million, I start to kind of go Ugh, because if you're paying depth forwards, you know, plus five, six million dollars, then what are you doing? But that's where I'm at on Connor Brown. I think I think anywhere from that four point seven five in that four point seven five five billion range is good for me. And now we're going to move on to the defenseman, leading off as we've got so many uh, Toronto, former Toronto Maple Leafs that are coming up uh, for new contracts. <laughs> Thirty 
38 or 39-year-old Ron Hainsey? 38, I think. Or maybe I think he's turning 39 this year, so he'll be 40 next year. Um, I like Ron Hainsey. I don't like Ron Hainsey, the hockey player, so much. But I think what he brings to the table in terms of IQ and leadership, I think he's one of those rare guys that's hard to find. I'd like to see them... If next year is going to be Hainsey's last year, I would like to see them re-sign him for one more year, league minimum, and then once he retires, make him assistant coach or player development. Because even if you watch the games, right, he's when Brandstrom was up with the team, he was coaching up Brandstrom all the time. That's why they were on the pairing together. Um, he's always he's always coaching up other guys, even in practice. Um, I think DJ Smith said near the beginning of the year he's like having another coach on the ice, um, and then. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, from there, like I said, I don't love his his skill on the ice anymore. But um, if they if they sign Hainsey for another year and then make him a coach right after that, I'm I'm not mad about that. I hope he, I hope he retires at the end of this year, but uh, we'll see what happens. Moving on, we've got uh, coming back from the Eric Carlson trade. Fucking rights mellow. Fucking rights mellow. <laughs> Um, I love Dylan DeMello. He's another guy who there's no doubt in my mind you got to re-sign him. Definitely one of the most underrated players in the league. Uh, he's been the shocker of this Carlson deal to me. A lot of people have been kind of taken aback by Josh Norris and by and by Rudy Balsers, but like Dylan DeMello has been unbelievable, and he just plays such an understated game. Right? He never he rarely does anything insane. But he never makes mistakes. He's so efficient. He's calm. He's poised. He's really good with the puck. If you can get that guy for a bargain, which you should be able to now, because most of the league hasn't woken up to him yet, you got to do it. You got to keep Dylan DeMello around, especially for those Christmas videos. I mean, come on. One of my favorite parts of that trade was watching Craig Button roast Pierre Dorian for the trade, considering how little the Ottawa Senators got back. The best part of that was when he said, Dylan DeMello isn't even an NHL defenseman. <laughs> I, I would laugh harder at that, but I called Tierney and DeMello fringe NHLers when that trade happened, so I got to kind of eat one there too. But um, but yeah, that's what I mean. Like DeMello, I think, has been the surprise of the trade. I, I, I still have a hard time stomaching that I cheer for the team that traded Eric Carlson, but I mean... DeMello is a nice consolation, especially if Norris and Balzers in that first-round pick turn out well. We got something going on. And uh, in terms of polarizing defensemen in the history of the Ottawa Senators, besides from Cody Ceci, perhaps one of the most polarizing defensemen, Mark Borowiecki. I've done a total 180 on Boro. Um I, I must have tweeted at some point, fire Boro into the sun last year because I was just so fed up. But he, we've seen an improvement in his offensive game, or it, actually his all-around game. He just looks all-around better. And the, and like I mentioned with Haynes, he's just a leadership factor that he brings. That's just a guy that's so beloved in the locker room and in the community. I'm of the opinion now that I would like to see them re-sign Boro, especially his wife is, I think, heavily pregnant and i don't mean that in a derogatory way i think she's like very close to having a baby so to trade that guy who's a local guy from ottawa now in that situation that'd be that would be kind of a tough one to swallow so i'd like to see them hang on to borrow 
Yeah, and the story from when they were in Vancouver and he clotheslined that guy who yes. was trying to break into that car. That's exactly why you want Bor- Boro sticking around. I'm mad because I didn't get one of those shirts. I'm waiting for one to pop up on eBay so I can snag it. And finally, we've got, uh, you mentioned earlier, you can't see him sticking with the team past this season. Craig Anderson, upcoming UFA. Do you think the Senators could get anything in return for Andy? Oh, without a doubt, I think they could. I think there are tons of teams that are desperate for goaltending. Look at the Leafs. Like, they've got nothing. Michael Hutchison starting against Ottawa tonight. You know, now that I said that, he's going to get a shutout. But, I mean, the Leafs, their goaltending is so bad. They have no depth. So if you trade them Anderson, that gives them a little bit of breathing room. I still don't think they're going to go very far. But um, but I think there would be a lot of teams that would be looking to supplement their goaltending depth with Anderson. Florida is another one. It's a good fit uh, aside from the cap situation. Um, you know, Anderson being, you know, having played in Florida. I think he lives in Florida a lot in the summers or something, if I'm not mistaken. But um, but yeah, I definitely think you could get something from it for Anderson. And, and I don't think... And like I said, I don't think he'll be past. He'll be with the team past the season. Uh, but if you can get something for him at the deadline, then you got to do it. If the Senators were to trade Craig Anderson to the Toronto Maple Leafs, would that be enough? Dare I say it to make you almost cheer for Toronto? Absolutely not. <laughs> not even close. I love Andy. Like Andy's got a special place in my heart. He's the best goaltender that the Sens have ever had. Um, you know, I remember, you know, one of my most vivid memories of, as a fan of the Sens is I was at game five against the Rangers in 2017 when they tied it in the last minute and Turris scored in overtime. I was there with my dad and my dad who hated me at the time because the Sens had just eliminated his Bruins. But I mean, we were at the game and Anderson, I think it was Kreider came in on a breakaway and Anderson made this huge save and the whole crowd just erupted. Everybody was on their feet, and the Andy chant started. I looked next to me, and my dad, the lifelong Bruins fan since the days of Bobby Orr, is chanting Andy. And I'm like, I was just, I'll never forget that, right? So Andy's got a special place in my heart, but not enough to make me cheer for the Leafs. And we teased it earlier, but it's now time for, in honor of episode CC, our five favorite moments of the season so far. We've both, before the show, written down our top five moments. And we're going to take turns revealing, starting with number five, working our way down to number one. Brandon, I'll let you start. All right. So before I start, I want to give an honorable mention to two moments that I didn't quite make my list, but that I absolutely loved. One was actually just last week. Um, I know we're not, we're, we're, we kind of frown upon glorifying fighting these days, but that Kachuk Subban tilt was awesome. That was a cool moment, especially with all the history Subban has in Ottawa. Uh, so that was awesome. Um, and the Kachuk versus Lawton, when Kachuk jumped Lawton against the Flyers, <laughs> that was, you know, it was, was it the most clean thing that's ever happened? No, but I would be lying if I said I didn't love it. So with that said, I'll go to my number five. And in keeping with the theme of Brady Kachuk, I got to go with his overtime winner against Montreal. Tierney for Kachuk is going to break in. Brady Kachuk and scores! Kachuk wins it for the Senators in overtime. Um, showing that just that sudden burst of speed that I don't think any of us saw coming. Nice little move on the breakaway to end the game in Montreal. It, it doesn't get any sweeter than that. So that's my number five. All right. My number five is from December 23rd, the final game before Christmas against Buffalo. The Sens got the 3-1 victory, all because of Craig Anderson's save versus Buffalo 
when the yes. puck came behind the net and he like put his glove just behind him laying on the goal line on Rodriguez yeah on Rodriguez and then immediately following that I think it was Borvietsky just fucking destroyed one of the <laughs> Sabres Yeah, I was. I, re- I was recapping that game. So I was watching that one really closely, and I jumped out of my seat when he made that save. I couldn't believe it. But, yeah, you're making me look bad. You got the dates. I'm like, I, I didn't put that on. <laughs> I'm looking all unorganized now. Well, I just wanted to reference it just because I fig- thought that the that it being the last game before Christmas added something Check, to gotcha. it. And, and Andy made 43 out of 44 saves, so that's just, like, his best performance of the season. It definitely was his best performance of the season. And that was after he had five games off, too. And I think he had that a 9.77 save percentage in that game. He was unbelievable. Yeah. And but, to, uh, yeah, so if you want to jump to number four. In a, um, in a second, four. I just wanted to make one more oh, point because uh, that game was following, like, Hogberg's unbelievable overtime performance against the, yeah. the Flyers where he made, like, four or five, like, 10-bell saves. Mm-hmm. And, then, like, going into the – Buffalo game I was like ah shit I really wish Hogberg was playing tonight like when is Anderson ever going to make an unreal save like that <laughs> and then he proved me wrong so that added to it yeah those those performances from Andy have been few and far between this year um, I didn't think he was I thought Ottawa was going to lose that game 100% too just even before it started um, but Anderson he proved us all wrong and Kachuk and Pajot had really good games that game too oh my god that was some of their best games of the season um, do you want to go ahead now? Yeah, go on to number okay, four. Cool. <laughs> I just, uh, didn't want to step on you. But um, so number four for me is Shabbat to Duclair against Detroit. Taro Hiroshi and Brendan Perlini. Perlini picked up his first point as a Red Wing in Duclair and on goal. What a move, what a goal. Anthony Duclair with his eighth goal of the season. Where they had the shades of Eric Carlson pass and to Mike Hoffman and Duclair went in and scored on the breakaway. I'd be lying if I had said that didn't give me a little bit of a painful flashback to the Boston series, but to see these two new young guys kind of, it was kind of symbolic to me of them, of Shabbat maybe stepping into Carlson's shoes and Duclair, who I think is better than Hoffman. So, so it was just kind of a cool, you know, compare contrast moment through Senator's history. Uh, so that, that gets my number four spot. And my number four, don't worry. Because before you asked me if you if you wanted to compare the number five so we didn't have too many similarities, and I said, nah, don't worry, because a few of mine are way out there, and three to one are going to be uh, very different from yours, I'm confident from that. But number four for me was to Chuck's overtime winner versus Montreal, so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, that was that, that'll probably go down as my favorite moment of the season, I think, no matter what happens, just hearing how pissed off the bell center crowd was and seeing them all flip off Brady as he was celebrating by the glass. Like I love, I loved it. Um, so yeah. Uh, number three, uh, I, uh, this one was tough, but I had to go with uh, the win against Calgary from a couple weeks ago where Hogberg absolutely stood on his head. The senators got dummied in terms of possession and shots on net. Um, huge win for Hogberg. And how about poor Sam Bennett? I think Holberg's going to get a piece of this right at the last minute. Look yep. at the stick of Holberg. Laid the paddle down. Lays it down and denies Sam Bennett. A guy who's kind of struggled to find the win column in his career despite some great performances this year. So I think that one, especially being the Brady versus Matthew matchup, 
that was one of the cooler games of the year. And to see Hogberg get the win in a, in a performance like that, I got to give it to him for my number three. Going with my number three, we're going to uh, Jonathan Davidson's NHL debut versus the Los Angeles Kings. Ooh, good one. And uh, a lot of people are like, why do you like Jonathan Davidson so much? And I don't know why anymore. But <laughs> I went to the Fan Fest back in September with my buddy Nathan and we were watching the little practice before they do the intra-squad scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And Davidson just looked so good. He was, like, stealing pucks and blocking shots. And he just reminded me so much of Mark Stone. So every bit of me wanted that player that I was going to have replace Mark Stone as my favorite Ottawa senator. So at that moment, I chose Jonathan Davidson. And Nathan bought the Abramov jersey. And so I bought the Davidson jersey, and the it. joke was we were both big fans of the Matt Duchesne trade. <laughs> oh, I'm a fan of that trade now, too. Um, yeah, I love Davidson. I, I think Mark Stone is a bit of a stretch, but I, I definitely think he's going to be a key guy going forward in that bottom six type of role. He's just such a good skater. That was one of the things that really blew me away when he got his first stint in Ottawa this year was I had no idea that he could skate like that. I was actually – I was in the Dominican Republic for that game, so I didn't get to really watch it. But uh, I caught up on it after and I watched like what bits and pieces I could with the crappy resort Wi-Fi. But um, but I, I, love, I love him as a player. I love how quick he is. He's relentless on his four checks. He's gonna be he's gonna be a bottom six fixture, I think, in the future. Yeah, and just to close out my thought on my number three, the morning that uh, it was announced that he had been called up and they would be in the lineup, Nathan uh, sent me a Snapchat. He's like, "You got to go to this game, Woodsy." And I was so I bought uh, the tickets and me and a couple buddies, Curtis Hayden and uh, Braden Oatway, we went to the game. And then uh, his first shift, he lined up against Ilya Kovalchuk, so that was yeah. sort of a, a cool moment for him. And uh, then Peugeot got the overtime winner, so that was awesome. Peugeot swaps it down the boards, cuts to the middle. Peugeot stopped by Campbell, rebound, score. Yeah, that was that was a fun game. I, I like I said, I caught up on it after when I got back, and that was one of the ones I was sorry I missed. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Peugeot though, because uh, he is actually the owner of my number two moment. Uh, we know he had had two hat tricks in his career, uh, but they were both in the playoffs, so. Even though he had two two hat tricks in some of the biggest games in Senators history, um, he he had never been credited for a regular season hat trick, and he finally got one this year in New Jersey against the Devils. Uh, it was a hell of a performance. He kind of did it all himself that game. So Pajot's the owner of my number two moment for his what's technically his first career hat trick. Back to Taylor Hall. Hall gonna fill the one in. Pajot down. Going on to my number two, Marcus Hogberg's sequence of saves in overtime against the Detroit Red Wings. Bertuzzi right to the front of the goal himself. Oh, across. Oh, oh and couple of curves. Another try. Oh, he couldn't get it. Green. Oh, somehow. Green again. Oh, oh my God. Are you nuts? Oh, Mike Green at the goal post. Yes. He, the first one was like from the left side of the net. He gets the paddle over on it. Then he makes another save that hits him, and then the rebound, like when he was sprawled out from the paddle save, the amount of space he had to cover to get his glove over to the left side of the net in such a short amount of time, that's one of my favorite cross-crease glove robbery saves of all time, 
And then if I think it was Phil Pilet <laughs> hitting the post after that. Yeah. So there was like three unreal saves. I texted my father the next day. I'm just like, did that actually happen? <laughs> I've never seen anything so unbelievable. I saw somebody quote tweeted it when it happened. It said the the Red Wings entire season in one sequence. <laughs> like I guess that's what just been Detroit fans have been dealing with all year. But no, that one was just the absurdity of it. I couldn't believe it. Like he was sprawled on top of Colin White, and he somehow gets across to make the save. Like as, that was unbelievable. Hogberg. I mean, I, I I was tempted to give him a few more of my top moments, but I'm like, ah, he hasn't been up for very long. I kind of got to spread it out across the season, but that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. What is your uh, grand reveal for your number one moment? So my grand reveal, drum roll sound effect and all that, uh, is Anthony Duclair's hat trick against the Blue Jackets. That was, you couldn't write that one any better. Comeback victory. Duclair scores the hat trick winner in overtime. Just a bomb from the top of the circle. And especially considering that was his old team and Tortorella's comments. Like, you can't write, you can't write it any better than that. So that was probably the moment where I've cheered the hardest all season was when he jumped, when he scored that goal in overtime. Like, it doesn't get any better than that. So I got to go with Duclair as my number one moment of the season so far. I took a screenshot of uh, John Tortorella's reaction after the goal, and I just uh, that's one of my favorite moments too. I w- I was considering including either of the hat tricks because it seems like forever that it's been since the Ottawa Senators have had a hat trick in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And goals have been hard to come by. Every uh, every other team like you see like they get hat tricks all the time. Like I I don't know if there's a statistic anywhere, but I feel as if Ottawa since the days of Alfie Spezza and Heatley, since like 2009, I'd say Ottawa is probably very low in the league in like total hat tricks. That's probably fair to say. One thing I do want to mention about Torso, though, because like, man, I feel like he gets a bad rep for the whole Duclair thing because everybody remembers that he said, I don't think he knows how to play, right? But he also said that a lot of coaches have been sticking with this guy because we believe there's something at the end of this tunnel. Right. So like it wasn't I, it wasn't as if he totally wrote off Duclair. I think that was a nice little soundbite for the media. But I mean, I don't know. That's one thing that always kind of sticks in my craw because I like torts, you know, uh, as far as other coaches go. I th- he's he's up there on my list of favorites. But um, but yeah, so and I think he was right, too. I think the trade to Ottawa kind of vindicated him because um, he said, you know, he thought there was something at the end of the summer. Like he thought Duclair could play. And now he has, right? He's been unbelievable in Ottawa so far. So I got to give a little shout out to Torts there. I'm going to give a little shout out to Torts in a, in a moment when we go through our NHL midseason roundup. Oh, boy. Uh, but uh, first off, my number one moment of the season, get the 10-ply out because I'm going soft on this one because it's a, got a personal connection for me. On December 9th, the Senators beat Boston 5-2. to two in what was one of their strongest performances of the season. And mm-hmm. December 9th is also the day that I asked uh, Adriana to be my girlfriend. So oh, that is, there you uh, go. That's, that's the one. So she's, she was watching that game with me, and she, she probably fell asleep at some point. But, uh, <laughs> but that, was, that was fun for me to watch the boys put on a clinic and uh, beat such an elite team with, with, in Boston with the 5-2 win. Oh, I love it. My girlfriend's a Bruins fan, actually. She's 
it's funny because my family's Finnish, right? That that's where Mackie comes from. The name's Finnish, and uh, she always tells me I'm her second favorite Finlander because she loves Tuukka Rask so much. So that was a fun night for me too. I'll, I'll give you the ten fly for that one, but that's I can't argue with it. That's pretty solid. All right. Well, that was fun in honor of Cody CC wrapping up the top five moments of the season so far for the Sens. And uh, we've talked a lot about the Sens, but every episode I like to talk about everything else going on in the NHL as well. So starting off the midseason roundup, who has been the most surprising team so far? Hmm. I think i got to go with Washington. Like, I think everybody expected them to be good, but I don't think anybody expected them to be leading the league at any point, you know? Um Especially with their goaltending situation, the fact that uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Samsonov, like Gordon Miller was pronouncing it Samsonov last night, but he's been un- the fact that he's kind of overtaken Holtby as the starting goaltender, at least the goaltender of the future in Washington. You know, it may it may not be a popular choice, but I got to go with the Capitals. For me, I'm going with uh, Columbus. Here's where I get my Tortorella shout out. I. <laughs> My preseason bold prediction was that the Columbus Blue Jackets would make the playoffs, which was really bold considering everybody had them near the bottom with Panarin, Duchesne, Zingle, and Bobrovsky leaving. But I have so much faith in Tortorella. He's won the Jack Adams before, and I think uh, he's got to be my my pick if the Blue Jackets make the playoffs this year for him to win it again because they were just a depleted roster and they're performing so well. He's got to get it. He's got to get it. Who has been uh, the biggest disappointment so far this season? Oh, I think it's going to be unanimous, San Jose, right? Like, that was a team that I was looking at to win the Cup. I honestly thought if San Jose was healthy and they got to the finals against the Bruins that they were going to win. And I thought the Bruins were going to beat St. Louis. So take that for what you will. But, um, But, yeah, so even losing Pavelski, you know, you look at that roster and you got guys like Eric Carlson, Evander Kane, Logan Couture, Brent Burns. It's hard to see how it's I don't think anyone imagined that that team would bottom out like they have their garbage goaltending aside. I don't think anyone foresaw it affecting them the way it has. So I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you disagree, but I've got to go 100 percent with San Jose. I actually am going to disagree and uh, humble brag here. Not a big deal. But I, I had the Sharks missing the playoffs. And uh, as of right really? now, if the playoffs started today, I'd have six of eight teams in the East in uh, my playoff predictions making the playoffs and seven of the eight in the West. So there wow. hasn't been too many surprises for me. Who'd you have, who'd you have making the playoffs over San Jose? Um, I had St. Louis, Colorado, Dallas, Vegas, Arizona, Vancouver, Ooh. Nashville and uh, is that seven? Is that, I don't know. <laughs> um, no, regardless, that's a yeah. that's an extremely fuego take. Thinking yeah. San Jose would make the playoffs, but good for you, man. Like, what what made you think that? If you don't mind, um, just because of all the injuries they had in the like final stretch of the playoffs last year, everyone was going down. It made me think that they were a, a little bit soft and. <laughs> Joe Thornton is getting up there a lot in age, and uh, their goaltending is absolutely abysmal. So I did not trust their goaltending to get them in the playoffs. Well, good for you, because I didn't see that one coming at all. Yeah, but uh, for my biggest disappointment, I think I'm going to go with uh, 
Nashville just because they added Duchesne and that was a huge addition for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just hilarious wherever Duchesne goes, they just uh, they just drop the ball. I'm just glad it happened to somebody else after it happened in Ottawa. Because if it had kind of ended with Ottawa and like Duchesne goes on to win a cup this year, I'd be like, come on. Yeah, and uh, Nashville's only like uh, three points out of a wild card spot with three games hand on Arizona, and they had the coaching change, so they they could very well make it and uh, go on a stretch. Because uh, Duchesne was actually very impressive in the playoffs last year with Columbus, so I wouldn't be surprised. But so far, I just think that they're they've been a disappointment. For sure, I gotta I gotta agree. Duchesne especially this year, he's he was he was had, he was better statistically at this time last year in Ottawa than he was this time than he was than he is this year in Nashville with a far better team around him. So I don't know, maybe it's a system thing, but like, yeah, I I, I definitely see why you think they've been a surprise. Um, who has been the most fun team to watch for you so far this year besides Ottawa? Um, I admittedly don't get to watch many games outside of the senators just because you know there's only so many hours in a day and i think if i watch any more hockey my girlfriend's gonna kill me in my sleep but um i've loved watching colorado uh they've got so much high-end talent that they've they've just been a treat there's always been something about, about vegas that i've really liked watching ever since they came into the league they just play kind of this exciting fast paced game that i like um there's a lot of passion especially in their home games with their fans uh, and a guy like Mark Stone just adds to that, right? So I think those two teams have been really fun to watch. If I had to flip a coin and pick one, I'd probably just go I'd probably go Vegas just because I'm biased and I still love Mark Stone. Yeah, that's a good pick. I, I love watching Vegas not only because the on-ice product is good, but just the in-arena experience. And you can always mm-hmm. hear their announcer whenever Vegas scores. He's probably the best PA announcer in the NHL. Yeah, I really want to go to a game in Vegas. It looks like so much fun. I almost went to game three against San Jose last year. I had the choice. I had already purchased tickets for April 14th. My friend Seth and I went to a concert in Toronto that night. It was uh, just like an up-and-coming band from California. Gotcha. But... uh, the, so the same night was the game three in, in Vegas, and my father was willing to split the bill with me, and I could take a friend, and that was the, that? the one that Mark Stone got the hat trick. So. I was going to say, <laughs> so do you it, regret that choice, or do you stick with it? I stick with it because I, I told my buddy I'd go with him, and we had a, a really great time at the concert. It was the best uh, show I've been to. The band, they're called The Swimmers, S-W-M-R-S, and two of the members in the band, they're the son of Billy Joe Armstrong, so... Okay, I think I've heard of them, but I I'm not familiar, too familiar yet. Yeah. Um, for me, the most fun team to watch, you mentioned uh, your girlfriend being uh, upset with you if you were to watch any more hockey. So uh, <laughs> when we started dating, I had to cut back because I have like a file on my iPhone where I keep track of every game I've watched this year, and I'm up to 124. And wow. I've seen like uh, 17 Vegas games, 16 Vancouver games. So those are two really fun teams to watch but uh, ever since the New York Rangers called up uh, Igor Shesterkin yeah, yeah. I'm not sure of the pronunciation but uh, I was fascinated when they called him up because he's uh, he was Craig Button's number one ranked prospect in the world and his numbers from the KHL were absurd and the one Belleville game I made it to this season was against Hartford and I saw 
him and Nett, and they went to the shootout, and Ottawa got the the win in that game. Or sorry, Belleville. Nice. But yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. I got my B-Sense, I got my B Sense jersey. I got one of the Red Barber Pole ones now, so I've got a. So I, I got to get out to a game when they play the Marlies. I'm probably going to get beat up, but I want to get I want to get out to see them play the Marlies. Those sweaters are clean, but yeah. So when he called up, I added him on my fantasy team because goalies. I'm first place in the league, but goalie's been a weak spot for me all year, so I had nothing to lose. And he's like three and one now, and he's just uh, he's the real deal. And my girlfriend, she likes watch. She's the Rangers are the one team besides the Sens that she'll watch because of Igor. So <laughs> love watching the Rangers games. And uh, finally, any you said you thought that Boston, if you had to pick anyone right now, would win the cup. Who do you see coming out of the West if you had to make a Cup Finals prediction? Hmm. Last year, I unequivocally thought Vegas was coming out of the West, and I still wholeheartedly wholeheartedly believe if they hadn't got jobbed in Game 7 that they would be coming out of the West. I think it's going to be an arms race that we see. Um, I think the deadline is going to play a huge factor in who goes where. Uh, I think one of the dark horses is if Arizona makes the playoffs, I think they could ma- I think they could make a run at it. I don't think they'll win, but I think they're a dark horse pick. If I had to pick now, I'd probably say Vegas just because that team always finds another level in the playoffs, right? Um, Even in that San Jose series where they kind of fell apart near the end, they were dominant in that game seven before that five-minute penalty, right? So if I had to pick one today, I would pick Vegas. I think Mark Stone's just going to put that team on his back. I think Fleury's going to be a brick wall, and Vegas comes out of the West. I'd love to see it, and... uh... One thing I'd also love to see is you mentioned Arizona, and that's a hell of a bold pick. But mm-hmm. uh, I would love to see a battle of the desert in the playoffs. You Me see too, yeah. Florida, when they made the playoffs a few years ago and won the division and they had that whole Kevin Spacey thing going on, they, were able, to, they were able to fill the building in Florida, which was unheard of at the time. Mm-hmm. Whenever Florida makes the playoffs, they they sell it out, which is weird. So you could even see uh, Arizona maybe getting a sellout crowd if they had uh, the battle of the desert in the playoffs. That'd oh be yeah, a fun. Well, remember to watch. they went they went to the conference final the year I think it was the f- yeah it was the first year LA won the cup I think in 2012. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were doing the I, were they doing the whiteouts at the game? I feel like they were. They were doing the they were that doing would make the, sense. Yeah, they were they were either doing the whiteouts or the sandstorm or whatever they called it, but. Uh, but yeah, like that, that was fun to watch. Um, it, it's it's so cool to see what it does for the game when teams like that succeed, right? Like everybody kind of rags on those teams that, like Arizona and like Florida, that struggle to put you know asses in seats. But to me, it, it's so good for the game when those teams are doing well. That's why I was really glad when Vegas made the final a couple of years ago. It's just it's growth of the game, right? Like we want more people to like our sport, so. So I would love to see Arizona do really well again. A Vegas Arizona, a Vegas Arizona conference final would be nuts. It'd be so good for the game of hockey. And Arizona, they it's easy to forget that they got Phil Kessel in the off season and that they've added Taylor Hall now, and exactly. they have so many exciting young players like Clayton Keller, and mm-hmm. they added uh, Derek Stepan a few years ago in the anti Ranta trade, and now they've got Darcy Kemper and Aiden Hill is like their third string goalie and he's putting up great numbers so they have so much depth and uh that's why i had them making the playoffs this year and they haven't even been healthy all year that's the crazy thing right like so if they can get healthy they're really going to make some noise 
they had the most uh, man games lost in the NHL last year to injury too. So mm-hmm. they uh, they're a fun team to watch. I've watched a couple games, and just with the star players they have in Hall and Kessel, watching them go against Vegas, I I like what you, you you've done there. Mm-hmm. And now we're on to the final portion of the episode as we approach the one hour mark. So we're right on pace for the perfect uh, episode length for a podcast. I like to have it clock in around the hour mark. Uh, no offense to Matt Bosty, who was on episode Phillips, and we, we cranked out a two hour and 15 minute that. episode. I was like, this guy's going to make me talk for two hours? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do for two hours? But uh, I, I thank you because I was saying Bosty. For the entire time that I've been on Sense Twitter. So I just found out that it's Bosty. So Bosty, if you're listening, sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so this is, we're going to get emotional here. We've got some emotional memories that we're going to bring up. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember the first Sense game you watched? I don't remember the exact specific game. But I started watching the Sens, and this is what really got me into hockey. Um, my dad visited his friend in Ottawa, uh, who's a phenomenal guy and has Senator season tickets. Um, but he took my dad to a game because they were playing the Bruins. And my dad came back, and he had a copy of Score Magazine, the, the game day publication, and he gave it to me. So, uh, And I just kind of read through it, and he was teaching me about all these players, like Mike Fisher, who became my favorite player. And you know he played in Sudbury a little before my time. Well, I was born, but I was very young. But, uh, but yeah, so it was then that I kind of picked up on the Sens, and that was January of 07. So that was the year they made the run to the final. So that was my first kind of year as a Sens fan. So, so, yeah, I don't remember the exact specific game, but I remember the moment when my dad handed me the magazine, and I was hooked from there. That's cool that we started watching around the same time because my uh, first game that I watched was Game three versus Anaheim, the one that they won. So, so it was a good time. Oh, I remember that game. Good time to start uh, watching. Is there a single moment uh, that made you become a Sens fan? I guess you said the magazine, but was there a moment mm-hmm. that that got you hooked that made you st- stick around? I think the deeper that the playoff run went that year really got me hooked. There's one moment I remember. I mentioned that Fisher is my favorite player, right? So, I remember Game one against Buffalo. Uh, it had just started and I had just had karate practice. So my dad brought me home from karate. We, you know, we put the TV on and I'm standing in front of the TV before I get changed. And it's just a couple minutes into the game. So I'm standing there in my gi. And this is when the senators are shorthanded and Fisher goes in on the breakaway. And I remember jumping, little eight-year-old me jumping up and down yelling, come on, Mike, come on, Mike, come on, Mike. And then he went in and scored, right? And I just freaked out. So that was, uh, so that was a big moment for me. I'll never forget that one. Maddock is so tough to handle, hovering in front. Fisher makes the steal and he's in solo. Fisher once again, he scores! Mike Fisher! In uh, tradition here for uh, episode CC now, what is your favorite Cody CC memory? It's got to be when he passed the puck to the guy with no stick against Anaheim a couple years ago. I remember the happening, and I was watching. I was streaming it, right? So I kind of rubbed my eyes, and I'm like, I'm looking at that. Just happened, and then I kind of rewind it, and I'm like, Yeah, it did. And I remember tweeting. I'm like, before I even checked my feed, I tweeted and I said, Did CC just pass the puck to a guy with no stick? And that was, and when I looked at my actual feed, that was just it. Like that was my entire Twitter feed was Cody CC passing the puck to guy to a guy with no stick. So I think nothing is more uh, appropriate 
to summarize his time in Ottawa than that. What is your favorite Sens goal of all time? Um, so there's a lot. Uh, I mentioned the Fisher goal there. That was a big one for me. Uh, Alfredson's goal to send him, send him to the final. I remember that one really well. I think if I have to go with one, because it was the one I was at, it was Turris's goal in 2017, game five against the Rangers. Turris in the zone with a shot blocked by Girardi. Second chance. He Because I remember, you know, overtime started and my dad looked at me and he said, uh, who do you think is going to score the goal? And I said, Turris. And for whatever reason, I just said Turris. And he said, well, who from the Rangers? And I said, no, Turris is going to score. They're going to win. And uh, the Rangers had their goal that got waved off of the high stick. And then we were sitting behind the Ranger net, right? We were, we were about, I guess, a little over halfway up. But uh, so we were right behind the Ranger net when Turris came in, his first shot got blocked and he got the second chance and he scored. And I've never heard a building that loud in my life. Like that game, I'll I'll never forget that as long as I live. So it's got to be the Turris goal for me. What's your favorite Sens game of all time? So uh, I would go with that one, but I'll I'll change it up a little bit. Um, Hmm. I think... It, it, this one's tricky. I think if I have to go all-time favorite game, it's it's the one you mentioned before. It's Game Three of the Final in 07. because I that was the one game I was I was like eight, right? So like that was the one game that I was allowed to stay up and watch because it was on a Friday night or a Saturday night or something like that. So that was the one game in the final that I stayed up and watched the whole thing. And uh, I remember Fisher scored on the beautiful deflection and just the atmosphere of the crowd, like. And the fact that they won, right? Like that was such a big game to win, even though they ended up losing the rest of the series. So, but uh, but yeah, that I gotta go with. I gotta go with Game Three against Anaheim. Have you ever met any NHL players or celebrities? <laughs> so I got a good story for that one. Uh, I met I've met a lot, um, but to like I've met Doug Gilmore and um, I have Don Cherry's autograph. Uh, so, and a bunch of the Sudbury guys, um, Derek McKenzie, Andrew Burnett, who are both from Sudbury, um, they're both assistant coaches in Florida now. Uh, but I'll keep to connect it to the Sens. The first game that I ever went to was November of 2007. So it was the 07-08 season. Uh, for my, my birthday gift that year was my, my parents took me, to, me and my little brother to a game. My brother's a Leafs fan. So we went to see them play the Bruins. I believe it was November 2nd of 2007. And uh, so... Fisher that game, obviously, again, Fisher being my favorite player, he scored the first goal, scored the winning goal, then was the first star of the game. And the first goal was like his 200th career point or something like that. So after the game, my dad takes us down into this little room and there's a bunch of kind of old players pouring in. So I'm like, what the heck's going on here? So um, my dad had a connection. Um, my dad coached Derek McKenzie, who's actually good friends with Fisher. Um, so they set it up secretly that I was going to get to meet Fisher after the game. So I got to meet Mike Fisher uh, that night. We also met uh, Felino, Wade Redden, Jason Spezza, uh, and Chris Neal. But, I mean, little eight-year-old me meeting Mike Fisher, I still have the picture of me just staring at him wide-eyed while he, like, signs my Ottawa Senators calendar or whatever. So that was that was awesome. Um, and the best part about it was my little brother was in that room with wearing his Leafs T-shirt because he's a 
knob. So so he goes up to Chris Neal and asks for an autograph wearing his Leafs t-shirt. And Neal just kind of looks at him like, I don't know. And they were playing with him. So he goes up to Spezza and asks for an autograph. And Spezza has my brother's mini stick and he pokes him in the belly with it. He goes, but you got to get rid of that shirt though. So so that was great. That was one of the coolest moments of my life, um, getting to meet all those guys. And just, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but all those guys were phenomenal, especially Fisher. I Huge credit to him. He's a class act. And uh, he made a little eight-year-old's life that day. So, I've heard some some awesome Mike Fisher stories over the years. So that's uh, cool that you brought him up. And uh, one interesting piece of trivia that uh, just for the show, I'm gonna ask you: Do you remember uh, when he got traded? What your reactions were, and do you remember who the Sens got for him? <laughs> oh, of course I remember. Um, I remember like I was basically in tears as my school day ended. Um, I don't remember who they got for him. Did they get a second for him? They got I think that... a first round pick and a second round pick if you in 2011. So yeah, yeah, I knew they got a second, but I didn't know who that, who else they got. Oh, that's cool. They got a first for him. I forgot that they got a first for him. Unfortunately, I mean, rightfully so. Rightfully so. He's one of like, in my opinion, one of the most criminally underrated players that played. Like at his peak, he was easily one of the best two way forwards in the game. So. Or sorry, it was a, a first and a third. First and a third. I read gotcha, it wrong, gotcha. but uh, the 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 tragic part is the first round pick was Stephen Na- Stephen Nason, and the third round pick was Jared Maidens, who had to retire because of uh, injuries. I, I believe he had a like, concussion. Uh, no, I should have done this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, that's painful. That just ugh. like a I first. I mean, it was it was we took solace in the fact that. Um, that he was able to go to Nashville and be with Kerry, right? But uh, what's cool is actually probably my most prized part of my jersey collection. Uh, I have a Mike Fisher captain uh, Nashville Predators jersey with the Stanley Cup final crest on it. So, so that's that's so that's so at least something good came out of that. But uh, it was fun to watch him in Nashville. Nashville was kind of my second favorite team while he was there. Um, they were fun to watch on their playoff runs. So. The Fisher trade is always a tough one to swallow, but I mean, like I said, good came out of it, I guess. And finally, who, in your opinion, should episode six be named after? Oh, it's got to be Redden. Come on. Who's the, more, who's the more famous number six in Ottawa than that? We could go with uh, Dennis, oh, or should I say Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman. And just instead of like putting a highlight at the beginning of the episode when I introduce it of uh, of him scoring a goal, just put the entire uber video <laughs> the uber video would be great yeah it's got it's got to be redden for me though i mean just he played so long in ottawa um didn't have the most ceremonious end to his career but uh but i think if you're going like most iconic players you gotta go wait yeah i i agree with you i'm i'm probably leaning that way and uh, sorry if you're listening bosty that i didn't go with uh sammy sallow but i couldn't find any um, clips on YouTube from a goal from his time in Ottawa. Of course you can't. That's the most bossy thing to say ever. Pick Sammy Salvo. Uh, so we're going with CC and uh, got to go with the uh, clip from his uh, first NHL goal, the overtime winner against St. Louis to close us off. But uh, thanks for joining us, Brandon. And uh, it uh, was a pleasure. Thank you for having me, man. I loved it. You got to come on mine now sometime. I'm looking forward to it.
Anderson Phillips goes to the left. Harrison shot the Bucks high in the air. And now back to the point. Cece stops, fires it through, scores! Cody Cece's first NHL goal is the 